Hi, I'm Gavin Gibanoni. I'm Professor of Neurology at Barts and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And I'm doing this MSLV podcast on what to expect when being diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis. This was in response to an email I received from a young 22-year-old who thought they had multiple sclerosis and was being referred in to see a neurologist and wanted to know what to expect. To be honest with you, I don't really know because the practice of neurology and medicine in general is highly variable and differs worldwide. depends on the time available uh, for the diagnostic consultation, the type of practice there is, whether or not it's a general neurologist or a MS expert. So there are lots of variables and it's very difficult to predict. So all I can say is uh, what I do or what I think should be done during a diagnostic consultation. So this particular individual hadn't even been for their first consultation, so they need to be aware that when they go and see the neurologist for the first time with symptoms suggestive of multiple sclerosis, um, the diagnosis of MS is a diagnosis of exclusion. So I would have to take a very detailed medical and neurological history, and then I would examine the patient in detail. I'm particularly interested in finding neurological signs, in other words, involvement of a particular pathway that would be important to help me fulfill the criteria for dissemination in space, which is part of how part of the diagnostic criteria for MS. Uh, as you know, MS has to involve at least two neuronal pathways, and if you find anything on examination, you can actually tick one of those boxes or both those boxes. Um, I suspect this patient will have to have a full diagnostic workup, which, it, which normally includes an MRI of the brain and spinal cord, maybe evoked potentials, a lumbar puncture with CSF analysis, and quite a lot of blood tests. I think the uh, these results never come back immediately, so it takes uh, weeks or months for the results to come back. And I think the important thing is for the neurologist to be very confident they, that there is no alternative explanation for the presentation. And they'd also have to show dissemination uh, in time, in other words, involvement of two neurological structures separated by at least four weeks. I want to stress the diagnosis of MS is a very serious thing and it's not trivial and should not be rushed. And I always make the point when I teach about MS is, if in doubt, don't make the diagnosis, rather wait. And the old maxim, time is often the best diagnostician is as pertinent today as it was in the past. Despite this, I'm horrified that the misdiagnosis rate remains very high. That's both false positive, in other words, diagnosing people who don't have MS as having MS, and also false negatives, in other words, missing the diagnosis. You know, that people get labeled as having something else when they have MS. Um, so this is actually a common, and uh, common. And I would recommend you read some of my older newsletters that go into the uh, they go into the definition of what is MS uh, in more detail and explain what to expect. Um, I've just added this particular question, what to expect during the diagnostic consultation to this list of questions, um, because it's quite pertinent to individuals um, who may have MS. Now, the initial consultation, you shouldn't expect too much because the neurologist is unlikely to be able to make the diagnosis there and then. He will need to have the investigations or she will have to have the investigations back. I think the second consultation after all the diagnostic tests will be the difficult one. Uh, I must point out, before COVID-19, we in the NHS used to finish a diagnostic workup uh, in about six to eight weeks, depending on resources. Now, post-COVID, we've got major delays in getting MRI scans and evoked potentials, and it can be taken up to four months to get the 
diagnostic workup completed. This is completely unacceptable, uh, but I think it's the reality of an overstretched and poorly resourced NHS. I think in an ideal world, you know, in the best private clinics in the world, a diagnostic workup takes a few days uh, and patients can go and see the neurologist and come back three or four days later with all the tests there and be told whether or not they have MS. I suppose the exception to this is if you get admitted to hospital with a bad attack, let's say a brainstem attack where you've got double vision, nausea, vomiting, and you can't walk, for example, or a spinal cord where you've paralyzed from the waist down. Those people come into hospital and they complete their diagnostic workup as inpatients, and that happens very quickly, even in the NHS. And those are the kind of patients we are now recruiting for our attack MS trial to try and test whether or not starting nalizumab, uh, you know, about 12 weeks earlier than we would would normally as an outpatient uh, has a, a, a positive income or po an outcome. I must point out that diagnosing MS or any other chronic and potentially disabling disease is distressing for the individual. And the response people who get diagnosed with MS have is highly variable. Some patients come prepared for the worse. Uh, uh, and are quite relieved about finally getting a diagnosis. And they say, oh, my goodness, it's only MS. It's not a tumor or something like that. So you get some people who actually find the diagnosis welcoming because they think it's much worse than that. Some people are completely surprised and in shock. Some actually get angry and criticize or even blame the neurologists for bad news. Others question your judgment and refuse to accept the diagnosis. I've had some patients accuse me of being wrong. They seek second, third, or fourth opinions. Uh, many are devastated and expect the worst. They ask, how long before I need a wheelchair? Am I going to die at 42 years of age, whatever? So these are the kind of responses we get. And very rarely now we get some patients who are completely uninformed. I've had one patient quite recently who didn't even know what MS was or had very little idea about multiple sclerosis and uh, actually asked about the disease. I think saying this, though, in the current era, though, most patients who I diagnose having MS are aware of the disease, and they, I suspect they have done some uh, online searching and they've found out uh, about the disease before they arrive in, into the consulting room. And I think Dr. Google, now ChatGPT, and even Bing are, are only keystrokes away from anybody, and the answers they provide now are quite credible. So when you do search about certain symptoms, MS will often come up and the links will take you to sites that explain what MS is. So most patients are now informed about the disease before they arrive. In my experience, most patients who come for the follow-up diagnostic consultation are extremely anxious. Okay, And I think that anxiety and that fear tells you what's going to happen in that consultation because most newly diagnosed patients only take one thing away from the consultation that they have MS and almost everything else that I say to them or the MS nurse says to them in the consultation is forgotten and this is why we're beginning to encourage patients now to record the consultations on their mobile phone so they can listen to it again when they get home or a week later to remind themselves what was being said. Um, another thing option would be to bring a partner, friend, or family member who can act, act as your backup memory and you know, relay to you what you've forgotten during the, or ignored during the consultation. I personally try not to overload patients with information during the diagnostic consultation for, for the reason they won't uh, absorb that information. And another reason is quite overwhelming. 
So I tend to provide them with links to online resources to learn about MS. I give them a brief description of what MS is, and then I give them the links. Uh, we used to give out little booklets, but we're trying to become paperless, so we actually give them the links rather. And then we arrange a follow-up session with IMS nurse. That usually happens within a week or 10 to 14 days, uh, so that individual can go away, do a bit of research, read about things, and then come back with a list of questions. So I think you've got to be prepared for the diagnostic process to be a relatively slow process. And it very rarely happens like in an hour or two. It takes time for you to become um, aware and used to having the diagnosis uh, of MS. I also try and be upbeat and tell patients that unlike in the past where MS caused most people to become disabled, now we have uh, many treatments available. And if we manage MS actively, we can prevent or delay the development of disability by many decades. And I'm expecting most people now diagnosed early in the course of the disease to age normally. I also tell them about the emotional reaction they will likely have in response to being diagnosed with MS. Uh, the psychological impact of being diagnosed with MS should never be underestimated, nor should the impact of the uncertainty of having MS be ignored. And I use the Helen Kubler-Ross Five Stages of Grief as a backdrop. Uh, there's a mnemonic called DABDA. It stands for Denial, Anger, Bargaining, Depression, and Acceptance. And we've added an extra A on the end, which stands for Anxiety. Um, the A for Anxiety is because you have no idea what's going to happen in the future. And people diagnosed with MS uh, may worry about what's going to go happen in the future. You know, will they be able to go to university? Will they be able to get the, the next job? Will they be able to find a life partner? Will they be able to get married? Will they have children? Will they be able to, to walk their, ch their child down the aisle because of MS? So all these types of questions about the impact of MS on their lives pops up in their head. And we don't know what those answers are. And that's why it's uh, we've added an A for anxiety, the uncertainty that goes with it. Um, some people pass through these emotional stages in sequence, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and anxiety. Others flip, or flip around. They go through some now and some later, and they often come back and go through some stages again. And this particularly, in my clinical experience, happens in people who are well and then they become disabled or start developing disability. And they begin to realize actually the MS is quite bad. And they then go back to the anger and bargaining stages from the, or having accepted the diagnosis, say, a decade before. And they ask the question, why me? Why am I getting worse? What can be done about it? And they, some even ask, could I have another disease? Are you sure I have MS? And uh, others then seek second or third opinions at this stage. So this is like why MS is a double disease. You have the diagnosis given to you if you have relapsing onset disease. And then later on when you develop clinically overt progressive MS, you go through the same process again um, and the same emotional stages again. Now, there will be cynics who read this or listen to this podcast, um, but I'm, aware, I'm acutely aware that the Kubler-Ross stages of grief have been heavily criticized in the psychological literature, but I do think they provide a valuable framework to discuss with somebody being diagnosed with MS, the potential, uh, their emotional journey, what to expect. And it provides some kind of um, counseling, really, uh, you know, what, what to expect after being told you've got MS. I always tell patients that being diagnosed with MS is uh, like running a marathon. It's not a sprint, and it will take time to come to terms with it.
And I think me as a healthcare professional need to make that patient aware that I'm there for the journey. And I uh, tell them that they have access to uh, us healthcare professionals. And I try and provide them with uh, high quality information about MS in case they can't get hold of us. Um, but once you are diagnosed in our, in our center and you're part of our patients that have MS, we look after you forever. We never discharge you and you have access to uh, our nurses, our therapists, uh, us as neurologists, uh, if there are any problems uh, that, that emerge. Contrary to what you may expect, I actually tell patients at the diagnostic consultation to stay away from Dr. Google, ChatGPT, and Dr. Bing, because I uh, think you need to come to terms with having MS uh, before you start searching and going down rabbit holes. And the reason why I say that, uh, that is a lot of MS-related content on the web is misinformation and disinformation. And until you understand your disease, it's difficult to know what online is valid and, ha- and helpful. And what is quackery? There are a lot of people wanting to make money out of vulnerable people, selling them quack therapies. And the only way you will stay away from those is if you learn how to search and to cross-validate various claims um, and uh, what sites are reliable, etc. And so I tend to uh, tell you to avoid too much online searching about MS and reading uh, until you understand the basics about having multiple sclerosis. Many patients ignore my advice and overwhelm themselves with information, and that actually makes their anxiety worse. So just be careful uh, about spending too much time online trying to read about the disease. I also don't introduce people at the diagnostic consultation to MS Selfie. Um, I think the level of information that MS Selfie provides is written at a very high level for the average person who's going to be diagnosed. It takes you a while to get to the level where MS Selfie is understandable. Um, if patients want more information, which they invariably do, I would direct them to the MS Trust, MS Society, and our MS Brain Health Time Matters website because the information there is written in a nice, easy-to-understand format. Uh, in the future, I will probably be referring patients to the MS Selfie microsite, which will be uh, written, which has been written by a medical writer, and will be created in a way that will be easy to find. So I'm hoping that resource will be uh, also available to newly diagnosed patients. It's probably not going to be uh, dumbed down, because I don't believe in dumbing down information, but it will be written in a way that's easy to understand. Now, some patients react incredibly badly to the diagnosis, and if that's the case, and we anticipate by seeing them, in, we, we refer them to counselling. Um, and they usually uh, offered cognitive behavioral therapy uh, and mindfulness therapy. Uh, this helps them come to terms with their having MS and also helps them manage their own anxiety. Uh, most patients now, in, at least in the UK, are very receptive to psychological therapies. I think they are, they, they, they're not poo-pooed anymore. They're probably as good as uh, pharmacological management of anxiety. And I've yet to find anybody who comes back from mindfulness therapy which is essentially meditation. You can only live in the now and you know try not to worry about things you can't control on the, in the future and find it very helpful. Um, I've yet to find anybody who practices mindfulness has come back and say it doesn't work. Um, contrary to what you'd expect, I avoid giving too much detail about treating MS and the specific information about disease-modifying treatments. I think these are much 
better discussed uh, at the next visit or subsequent visit when you've come to terms with having multiple sclerosis. Saying this, though, some patients want to dive straight into treatments very quickly. Uh, so it's always horses for courses. The diagnostic consultation has to be tailored to the individual patient needs. And so if somebody's well-informed, they may have had a, uh, a partner or a, or a family member with MS and are very aware of it, we would uh, discuss DMTs in the first consultation. Um, I'm also very, very aware from feedback we've had via uh, our social media pl platforms, the BOTS blog, MS blog, which is now the MS blog, and MS selfie, that many people with multiple sclerosis are traumatized by their diagnostic consultation. And some people have post-traumatic stress disorder from their experiences. And I don't think this should be happening in the modern era. And this is why I uh, try and be emp have empathy during the consultation. I have tissues at hand. With many patients uh, who are told they have MS start crying, and they just can't stop themselves from, from crying. And on many occasions, I feel compelled to hold their hands. Uh, I think it's important uh, to show you you have empathy, and holding hands is an empathetic gesture. It helps, and also helps connect you with the patient. Not everybody, not all my colleagues do that, though, and some people are quite critical about that, but I think it depends on individuals. You know, some people respond very well to empath empathetic gestures. On rare occasions, this happens less so now, uh, and particularly for patients who are alone or socially isolated, we may buddy them up with one of our other patients to ask questions and to learn about MS. Uh, we choose these MS buddies very carefully. They often expert patients and are engaged with our MS service. And they tend to be very optimistic and they understand that this role of counseling or mentoring another patient is quite sensitive. And it's important they don't overwhelm you with, re with uh, information. And this so-called MS Buddies system uh, uh, is also being pioneered by the charity Shift MS that I work with very closely, and they do a very similar thing, and you're welcome to look at their site. Um, Shift MS really is a social network for people with multiple sclerosis. It was started by George Pepper when he found, uh, as a young male, that the, the resources available to him were very, very poor, so he set up this charity. Um, another thing I do in the diagnostic consultation is to show you your MRI scans. I think it's very important for you, for you to know you've got a brain and a spinal cord and to know what it looks like. And I'll show you the lesions. I count them and show you where they are. And if one lesion is maybe causing a certain symptom, I say this lesion is likely to be causing that weak arm or that uh, problem with uh, your balance. Uh, and I think by doing that, it actually makes MS objective. You understand that there are physical lesions in your brain and spinal cord. And then when it comes to discussing treatment targets to prevent these lesions, you understand what we're trying to do. Um, I also think it's critical in the diagnostic consultation to allow recently diagnosed patients to have time to ask questions and even to allow some time for silence. You know, don't rush them. In other words, make them feel like they've got to get out of your consulting room because you've got to see the next patient. I think it's very important to try and uh, manage uh, the consultation in a sensitive way. I mean, MS is a serious disease, and how you inform somebody about the diagnosis has to be done very, very carefully. I mean, I've been practicing neurology for over 30 years, and I find it difficult, still very challenging, to tell patients they have MS. Um, and, you know, both the disease, MS, and the patient who's been diagnosed with having multiple sclerosis needs to be uh, respected.
<clears throat> so that's kind of what I think you should expect during the consultation if you were seeing me. Another thing I would like to highlight though is we now recognize medical gaslighting is a significant problem in multiple sclerosis. Uh, so please don't allow your neurologist to gaslight you. And I've just repeated the things you can do from my previous uh, MSLF newsletter on gaslighting uh, to try and uh, counteract uh, gaslighting. So this is just to act as a reminder. So that's it. If you have any questions, please feel free to uh, ask them and I'll try and respond. And I would like to know from you as patients uh, or people with the disease, uh, what were your experiences of being diagnosed with MS? You know, what was done well, what was done poorly, and, and uh, would you change things? Would you give give us some advice? You know, some sometimes the best learning is feedback from people with the disease. And then finally, uh, just another appeal for those of you who have yet to subscribe, please do. We are using the funds raised to create our MS Selfie microsite which is looking very good and we'll be launching it uh, towards the end of the month. Take care.